0: Hello, it's Caroline, and I'm here to tell you that the episode you're about to listen to was recorded a long time ago, back when I used Patreon, back when I ran lots of different workshops and programs that I do not run anymore, and back before the Fuck It Diet book. So if I refer to any of these obsolete offerings while you're listening, just know that even though my Patreon and other programs don't exist anymore, You can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck a Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy, and it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to episode 28 of the Fuck It Diet Radio. My name is Caroline Dooner. I am the creator of thefuckadiet.com and your host here on the Fuck It Diet Radio. These days, I've been doing a lot of me and myself, just like we are doing right now, where it's just me talking to a microphone that I finally figured out how to use after a year. It's excellent. Um, I'm kind of reading my own posts and answering questions, blah, 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 Uh, and often going on tangents and getting very lost and, you know kind of generally being a pretty irresponsible and unprofessional host, but that's the way I like to do it here. And I hope that it is um okay with you that that is how we roll. I just edited that in because I went on a tangent and it just wasn't helpful. But the point is here is that today I am interviewing Isabel Fox and Duke for the second time. I have a first interview with her that was over a year ago. You can look back. I think it's episode Six or something, way in the beginning, um, and I'm interviewing her again. And she always has a lot of brilliant things to say. She also teaches people how to, I think, in her own words, stop being crazy around food. And she has a free video series that I have linked to in the post that is connected to this blog, this episode, in the blog post connected to this episode. It's also in the email you got if you are listening to this because I sent you an email about this episode, you can find her free video series by clicking on those links. It is a wonderful, beautiful, beautifully shot video series that has a lot of really, really helpful information about becoming normal with food. You should totally check that link out after this episode and I'll remind you again at the end, but without further ado, here is my chat with Isabel. Hello, Isabel. Thank you so much for being back on the Fuck It Diet Radio. Oh my gosh, my
1: pleasure. It is always such... It's, it's just like always an honor to be here. I love chatting with you so much, as you know. We feel like we've, we've known each other a hot minute. Like, we've been in each other's lives a hot minute. So it's, it's always lovely to, to reconnect
0: and re-chat with you. And I do think... I'm not positive, but I think that since we had our last interview on this podcast I think you moved to San Francisco after that and I moved to Philly after that because I think the last time we were both still living in New York
1: yes which definitely means that it's been over two years because I I moved to San Francisco in October 2015 hot off the heels of the launch of my 2015 masterclass, which would have been September 2015, where I would have done nothing other than just work, probably. Wow.
0: Um, so
1: it's been probably since at least August
0: 2015. Wow. Well, it's there overdue. It is overdue. Yes. Um,
1: yes. 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 But yeah, no, I'm super excited to catch up. I feel like you know, let's see, let's see what two years has done to us.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, Isabel is one of the teachers of normal eating that I would say that I trust the most. Um, she's super consistent and always brings it back to the root, which is the our relationship with our bodies and um, the cultural shit that we have around bodies. And I think that that's just, if that piece is ignored, it all sort of falls apart and um, right. we end up right. back where we started. Right.
1: Right, and I would even go. So I hope you don't mind me interrupting. I would even go so, so far as to say, you know, the cultural and the emotional psychological are really one. Right, they're not two separate issues. No. They are they, they're intertwined. Right, so I'm I'm really really interested in that intersection, and I think we're going to talk about that at some point today.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, and also, I do you find? Um, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with this in the last year. I would say. But there were times when I was sort of tentatively posting. um, I know you don't use social media as much as I do. But uh, posting about political things. Mm. um, And people who didn't agree with me would tell me to stop posting about politics. And I... Like non-weight related
1: politics. Yes, exactly. Or both. Or all of the above.
0: Exactly. Well, what I have become so clear on, and what you pretty much have always been clear on, it seems, is that there is no separation. Like it, 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 it has everything to do with everything. You know, the the um, the social piece is. is really important, and the it's more huge. that I, yeah, the more that I become right. comfortable with that, I think the better, because it it has everything to do with everything.
1: Right, I mean, you can talk all until the day is long about dieting as a coping mechanism or, you know, how we manage our emotional lives or whatnot, but at the end of the day, the reason we choose dieting or the pursuit of thinness as our, you know, preferred coping mechanism, mm-hmm. coping mechanism of choice, is because of the cultural rewards and benefits that we perceive ourselves to get from thinness.
0: Exactly. Right. So
1: they're not separate issues. They are the same. One would not exist without the other.
0: Exactly. So before, you know, some of you who are listening may have already listened to our first conversation together, but for anyone who is new or anyone who forgets Isabel's wonderful winding story to where she is now... Um, would you like to just give a little background on how you got into the work that you do today?
1: Sure, yeah. So, you know, and if anyone is totally new to my work, I hope you'll also listen to the previous uh, interview that we did, although that was, it's now two years old, so who knows what I even said then. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, as sort of like a little summary, even for those who have, who have heard my story before, you know, I won't get into too much detail of what it was like, but I imagine everyone listening to this is... I can kind of already know what I'm about to say. I was a classic diet binge cycler my entire life, starting from the age of three when I was put on a diet by my pediatrician because I was high on the baby BMI scale or Mm. whatever, right? I was like 95th percentile in weight or whatever it was. I don't even know the numbers, but I know that this was pediatrician recommended. Better better watch for this little three-year-old girl's weight. And so, you know, from that point forward, it was like off to the races. You know, my parents were always, you know, trying to control my food. You know, get the skim milk, eat the broccoli, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in the 80s, so you know, it really was drink the skim milk. I mean, that was that that was the, the type of dieting that people were really doing back then. Um, and you know, I think that this is, and, and that just continued on for my whole life. Now, obviously, interspersed with me dieting up until you know, I kind of found my recovery story, which is a whole other ballgame, which we'll, I can discuss briefly, mm-hmm. or that hopefully we'll spend most of our time actually talking yes. about, but, um, you know, my whole life, really, I mean, I just was very, very clear, my body's not okay, my body's too big, you know, and I should try and make it smaller, right, like, just obvious, like, this was, like, oxygen to me, it was, like, obviously, I should try to make my body smaller, and obviously, this is, like, a thing... To be continuously pursuing i I didn't even challenge it i didn't even really think about it it was just again like breathing it was just like dieting it was like breathing it was Mm -hmm. just like yep like try to be thinner like don't eat the thing don't eat that try not to eat that and that was just my life right it was just my unquestioned life it was how i was raised literally from the time of like pre-memory um and as a result right and i didn't realize uh, that these things were connected at the time, but as a result, I always often felt like my hunger was insatiable, mm-hmm. right? That, like, yeah. that like all I wanted to do was eat the brownie and that I should just try not to and that I should sit on my hands trying not to eat the brownie, but, of course, that was all I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, my dream fantasy just, uh, was, was being able to eat whatever I wanted and, you know, not have any weight consequences for that. Like, that was my idea. I remember thinking there was a romantic comedy with Cameron Diaz in it that I forget the name of. But she has this, you know, fantasy where she is, you know, with some guy and he's like... I hope I don't, people don't mind me
0: getting too graphic. Is this
1: okay? Is this an R-rated
0: Yes, podcast? it's called The Fuck It Die. Okay, right.
1: That's true. I forgot. Yeah. So, Cameron... Cameron Diaz is having this fantasy where this guy is, like, giving her oral sex, like, going down on her while she's eating ice cream that has no calories in it. And that is her, like, ultimate fantasy, right? And that was kind of, like, my ultimate fantasy for, like, most of my life. And, like, honestly, I could probably do without the guy in that fantasy. Like, <laughs> really? probably just the ice cream with no calories. Would have So I was upset, right? So I was like, this, this duality that we so experience, that is the diet and cycle, classically defined, is this duality of just wanting nothing but food, And I'm constantly feeling like I needed to control it, right? And also similarly, like, constantly feeling in control of food, like, okay, this is it. This is day one of the beginning of my life. Like, I'm going to get it right. I'm in a good place. I'm doing a good job at controlling my food today. And then, of course, I would have the fall. I would fall off the wagon. I would do, quote, badly, um, I would, you know, in my mind, I thought it was, like, I failed, right? Like, I'm failing, I'm out of control, I, I suck, I'm just destined for, like, isolation and unhappiness and ruin because I can't get my food in there for my body to do what I want it to do. right. Um, and that was, it was this duality, it was this constant duality of being, you know, either in control or at the very least constantly trying, well, I was always trying to control, but either being in control or just frantically losing control. And that was my life for literally since being, uh, since very, very young age, right? It was this yeah. duality of, you know, I want the food, but I shouldn't have it. And it's just sort of this tug of war, right? And it kind of felt like. I, I sort of have this mem- metaphor in my mind of like a tug and war of like, mm-hmm. I want the food, but don't have the food. But I got sit on my hands, trying not to eat the food. That was, it was the fight all the time. And also of course this, this constantly either being, okay, I'm in control today. I've got this. This is going to be the thing that quote works. I'm doing so well. I'm on my way to the fantasy life that thinness will afford me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Or I'm, Like, completely just, like, falling apart and just feel desperate and hopeless and hate myself.
0: Yeah, and Um, it's all you think about, right?
1: Right. I mean, (laughs) uh, well, the more severe the behaviors become, the more obsessive it becomes and the more it starts to take over your life. And, of course, these behaviors, they are progressive because most people, when they fail at a diet, early on, like, I'll just speak for myself. I'll talk from my own experience. When I was a kid, falling off my diet, it was like the answer often, and this continued into adulthood, I think for most people, right? The answer to falling was to try to grasp harder next time, Yeah. was to try to control more next time, was to more desperately try to get thinness the next time, which of them of course, would lead to bigger binges, bigger, bigger falls, mm-hmm. right? It was like, it's like the pendulum swing. It's like the farther you go in one direction, the farther you're going to go in the other direction eventually. Or another metaphor that I often use for diet and cycling is like, you know, your dieting is like, you're pulling back the bow in a bow and arrow, you're yes. holding a bow and arrow and you're pulling back the bow and you're pulling back the bow and you're just, you know, the, that string is just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, right? The farther back you pull it, the farther it's going to fly in the other direction. The second you let go. Yeah. And so that was sort of, you know what was going on and so the cycle would just it got colossally more um advanced as time went on right it got colossally more the, the pendulum swings were bigger and bigger because i mistakenly thought that the answer to losing control was to try to get more control
0: mm-hmm.
1: was to try to desperately grasp for more control and that would just push it would just literally propel the cycle forward like momentum like into space basically yes yes um, <laughs> like, <laughs> And so, yeah, I didn't. It didn't. It was it's very counterintuitive to when you're binging, and when you just feel completely hopeless and desperate, and are like, ah, "I'm flailing, right? I'm flailing." Like, yeah. I just, I have, I can't. It's very counterintuitive to think that the answer might actually be to let go. Totally. Um, it's not the. It's not the normal human reaction.
0: No, um, it's not our logical. Yeah. Like, I can overcome this with. Like, hard work and willpower.
1: Right, right, exactly. It's not really in alignment with our culture either, if you want to go there, right? It's not really in alignment with, like, meritocratic culture, which certainly is is the cultural paradigm of the U.S. and most of the Western world, right? So... Yeah, so anyway, so this was sort of my life for a long time. Long story short, these pendulum swings got more and more extreme until I ended up in rehab. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's like, again, I'm skipping over a lot of details, but for the sake of... And if you want those details, go to the
0: first interview. They'll be there.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. More details in the first interview. (laughs) Um, Ended up in rehab and started like what I would call like you know my my journey to recovery and it took me a really 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 long time to even really understand all of these very rich concepts that we're talking about related to control related to culture culture Mm -hmm. wasn't something that was ever talked about in my rehab centers right which is absurd because
0: it has everything to do with everything. But. right
1: exactly it's like such an enormous piece of the puzzle that is just skipped right over in clinical settings for for politi- for political reasons right yeah and let's get political right? right like if you operate in the american medical system <laughs> like the status quo is then as good as bad, is bad right. and that's just what it is right yeah. and there's just no challenging of that in in most clinical spheres even in the even within the the realm of eating disorder treatment unfortunately right because again this is it's all it's all the medical system right and so the specific medical system that really holds very tried and true to this specific very specific belief about what what weight is appropriate right yeah um so yeah so even so culture was never discussed sociology was never discussed i mean it's, it's not something that comes up i think in a lot of you know just in clinical therapeutic settings it's just it's, it's not something that really comes up with patients all that often. You really have to find a practitioner who is educated about these things and who has a sociological lens, right? right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, like, even these other sort of, like, spiritual things that I think were so critical in me really overcoming this, it just – I didn't get them for whatever reason, you know. I didn't get them for years in my attempts at recovery, it took what it took for me to actually get the information that I really needed, which is why as a coach, I do this work as a coach who's, you know, has a lot of freedom as far as thankfully, right? Like what I can share and what I can do and yeah, exactly. how I can talk about this work. Um, you know, I just want to share sort of what was useful to me because it took me years and years mm. to get this information, even after having been in the best treatment centers in right. the world. Right. You know, like, right. Um, yeah, thankfully, it is becoming more more uh, readily available and mainstream, and also more readily available. Again, there's like very cool, groovy therapists and cool, groovy nutritionists kind of coming to this information, but they are definitely still the minority. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, so that's that's the beginning of the story. Take, yes. <laughs> take it from there. It's all yeah.
0: about the hard-earned lessons that had to be pieced together through failing and failing and flailing and struggling. Yeah,
1: kind of. Yeah, yeah. Although I do hope that it's like you know our work can help people get there a little bit quicker. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically all it. That's my hope, right? Is that I can help you get there quicker, right? Yeah, can like cut the corners for you.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because there's so much doubt because of because of all of the sort of because of what you were just talking about the conflicting information about. Um weight and like the the safeness of eating essentially um there's so much doubt when trying to follow your intuition with food because there are enough people telling you you know that it's just a simple meal plan and then you could be you know cured, right. and that's really just barely halfway
1: right i mean it's just it's just so much more in my opinion, really overcoming this stuff is about sort of like massively overhauling your whole like, like point of view on life, you yes. know? And yes. Your, your priorities.
0: World. And it's all about those control issues. Right. We love talking a worldview.
1: Yeah. Fat phobia is a worldview. Right. Diet culture is a worldview that most people are living in, whether they're a therapist or they're mm. whether they appear to be normal eaters or not, right? Yes. It's a worldview, right? And so if you're trying to recover from disordered eating, right, and you've kind of gone over to quote unquote like the bad place, in this worldview, right? Where you're like, oh my God, I recognize this as hell. I need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find safe spaces where people are actually not going to say fatphobic things to you accidentally yeah. and where people are actually not going to reinforce diet culture to you accidentally because most people don't even realize that they're doing it because it's yeah. so normalized and it's so embedded in our language and culture by everyone, by everyone, yeah.
0: everywhere you look. Everywhere. It's And, and it is hard to... I mean it's way better and having the you know the complete paradigm shift of realizing that that doesn't have to be the way you look at life or the way you operate or the way you see yourself but it is but I like I I am in such a little sphere of body positive coaches <clears throat> and and websites and people that when I step back into the real world and I hear the way people talk it's hard it's hard yeah. to know you know, I try to just, I, it's I, shocking. it's shocking and I do struggle with knowing when to like not engage or when to actually speak up about it because people, you know, I mean, people who aren't ready to hear it, like it's, there's only so much you can say. I try to just give like a little, little piece and then I leave it be because yeah, people are really I mean, defensive.
1: I mean, it's a lot of energy and a lot of emotional labor to do activism, and like as a person who basically does activism for a living, right? Like, yes. I'm very conscientious about like who I'm giving my labor to, yes, who exactly. I'm giving my energy to, exactly. and like what's right. Of, you know, it is work. Doing activism is work, and this they they call it activist burnout for a reason. Yes, right. Like, if you're just if you feel the need, right, to be like every single time anyone says anything on Facebook, I mean. Before Facebook, maybe it was a different story, but, like, if I, like, got into a political argument actively with everyone who said something I disagreed with on Facebook, I would not have time to talk to clients. No. I would not have time, right? And so it's, like, you know, you have to just be – I think it's really about energy management, right, and really making sure that you kind of put yourself first, Exactly. And be like, okay, I'm committed to doing this work, and like, also, I have to put my life mask on before I can put other help other people with theirs. Like, you know, like in the airplane.
0: Exactly. Like, you know. Yeah, secured. and that's the big boundary, self care piece that is has become like my lens for everything these days. Right. Right. Um, and totally. I really, I mean, I, for the most part, I consider that the work that I do online is, um, is nearly as much as i can do and the people in my life know, who don't fully understand it still know that that's what i do so i can kind of like leave it at that or just be i i, I tend to disengage with people who already know that i have a different view of them uh, not view right. of them but a view right. than them right. and um yeah Self-care, self-care, self-care. Activism yeah, totally. can come and after not, self-care. you know,
1: no one is obligated to activism. I think that that's important, too. Like, Reagan Chastain says this all the time in her emails. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Reagan Chastain, she's a very, very, very visible uh, and just super important, really smart, fat activist. Um, but she, you know, she says that she always, you know, activism is not an obligation, like, especially for people who are being oppressed, right, or who are vulnerable to oppression, you know, like, again, you have to take care of yourself first, right, like, you have to, you know, it is not your responsibility to make other people not be assholes, yes, yes, Um, like, so, you know, I think that that's, that's important, um, It's activism is something that, you know, do if you feel called to do it, but you're not responsible for or obligated to do it. Exactly. That's
0: beautiful. And it's the, again, it's like the, um, you know, the safety mask is you cannot um, help people from an empty cup. If you're depleting yourself all the time, at a certain point, your burnout is going to stop you from being able to do anything for yourself or anyone else. So make sure you're taking care of yourself. Absolutely yeah energy energy management energy Absolutely. management and boundaries yeah um yeah. so what's next what um how has san francisco been san
1: francisco is uh amazing i love san francisco it's you know it definitely it fills my cup up rather than <laughs> drains me right? i started to feel like new york was draining my cup a little bit and, yeah. and don't get me wrong I love New York yeah. I, I was raised there I grew up in Manhattan proper um but I uh, yeah I was just it got to a point where I was just sort of like itching for change and I was feeling I was feeling a little like stressed out like in my apartment in New York all the time especially you know you understand it's like working from home and being self-employed and all yes. of that um so I was like I need to bust out of here I need a change and I came out to San Francisco to visit a friend and just basically just never went back oh yeah I I remember
0: that it just like got longer and longer and Mm -hmm. then yes and then did you just stay or did you ever come back and then go back did you literally just stay
1: I stayed for a month, and then I was like, okay, I have to move out of my old apartment. Like, I have to go put my stuff in storage. So, I I went, moved out of my apartment, put most of my stuff in storage, and then literally just got a furnished sublet in San Francisco for the next year. Because I also wanted, you know, to make sure that
0: if I wanted to
1: come back. Yeah, if I wanted to come back, I could come back. So, got a furnished sublet, and then when that sublet was over, I decided to, like, really make it permanent, and I moved all my stuff out of storage, and now I'm completely out of New York, and... I have, like, a permanent apartment in San Francisco, and, yeah, I'm, like, kind of, I'm just living that Cali life, living that Bay Area life, Um, and it is, it's a different, it's a really different quality of living, although San Francisco is becoming more and more similar to New York every day, because there's just so much, you know, the tech industry is just, it's like the new finance, you know,
0: yeah, seriously, (laughs)
1: but yeah but it is but it's still much more i mean even just the buildings are shorter right? yeah so that's how it like, is in
0: philly too <laughs> yeah <laughs> like
1: there's more sunlight literally like yeah. there's just more air more nature right and the and the culture of san francisco reflects that like people really care about the outdoors and people really care about you know everyone like loves to like hike on the weekends and that's you know embedded in the culture in the way that it's just not in new york uh, new york has other great things like art and fashion like San Francisco doesn't really have much of that quite frankly that I'm aware of Uh, but San Francisco really you know it has it's got the nature and and it's got you know it's like different charms for each totally Um, but yeah San Francisco's been amazing I learned I've learned a ton I've I've had to surrender so much I feel like in the past two years it's funny I love San Francisco I'm so happy that I'm here the past two years have been wonderful here but the past two years have not been a piece of cake I mean the past two years I have come up against so much in the realm of relationships specifically mm-hmm. that's where I'm learning all of my mm-hmm. surrender lessons
0: mm-hmm. the, the I learned a lot years. there too I'm still one yeah. of my
1: things I'm <laughs> learning all of my how to not pendulum swing from trying desperately to control and then f- losing control and feeling hopeless and frustrated uh-huh. that pendulum swing that I you know did with food for so long you know I, I can I see myself doing it in so many areas of my life and mm-hmm. it's like now that I'm aware of the cycle it's like oh I get it like I was trying to control like which people were attracted to me or which right. people wanted to be with me and then I would get really frustrated and upset and feel like shit about myself when it would like inevitably explode or like I would or whatever even in the context in relationship like you know trying to control your partner and trying to make them do something and then feeling disappointed and frustrated when it does just totally so many different things. Um, there's just been tons of spiritual lessons for me to learn in the past two years around relationship, and, and you know, prior to that, we may have even talked about this on a previous call. Like, same thing in my work life, same thing in my career mm-hmm, life, right? Like mm-hmm. these, these, and this is where it does get like emotional and spiritual. And I know we've talked about this quite a bit. These themes, these these ways of operating around food. They show up in other areas of our lives, you know, and we need to be able to translate and apply the sort of spiritual principles of healing, not just to our relationship with food, but everything, right? Exactly. So many, it's just so many implications, right? The concept of like letting go and surrendering like to what my body fundamentally is, like what are the implications of that for my whole life, like for my relationships, for my career? Like it's huge, 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 huge. Pat Michaudran, I know we were going to talk about her at some point. She's kind of been my biggest spiritual teacher the past couple of years. So, She's... I've been uh reading a lot of her stuff. She's been kind of the saving grace to me the past I would say 2ish years.
0: She's so um, good. She's so, I mean, what I read Comfortable with Uncertainty and ooh. it truly like it spoke to me so deeply. The the biggest Lesson I think that I took away is that we all are trying to find the ground beneath our feet, and we're hoping that if we can just control things, that they won't change, and then we'll be happy. And that's just not the the way of life. It's just not the way it works, and it is like it's misery inducing. Right. Even if you get
1: the thing, it's gonna it's it's temporary, right? Yes. Even if you get the thing that you thought would make you happy, it's like somehow the ground is still uncertain right like uncertainty and and like fundamental lack of safety you know mm-hmm. i mean i think Pema shojon she really uses one of the things i so appreciate about her is she's not bullshitting like no. she uses she uses strong language like like you know you are fundamentally safe and unsafe right like there is no certainty there is no ground beneath your feet at mm. all It's a shit show. Like life is just a shit show. The question is is like how cool can you get with that reality? And that's so true in the realm of food. It's like You know, the more I try to fight my food and make my food be a certain way, the more frantic and out of control and quote-unquote crazy I'm going to not only feel but also probably act around food, right? Like I'm just going to feel like I'm going to be grasping and desperate. And and quite frankly, I did this in my dating life, right? It's Mm -hmm, like when mm -hmm. you're coming from a place of lack, like it's not just your head that feels nuts. Like your behaviors are affected by that, that feeling, right? Totally. So this certainly happens with food. It's like the only answer is just be like I'm just gonna let go and just let my food be whatever the hell it's gonna be,
0: right? Yes. If
1: I I'm just gonna assume it's just gonna it's just gonna be whatever. Like it's just gonna be quote messy if you want to put a label on it. But like I don't even know like why we need to. Right? The only reason we even need to put a label on it is because of diet culture. Exactly.
0: Here. Exactly. So- and what I find in all these areas are that it's these expectations that I put on all of these areas of my life that. I continue to bump up against like what did I what am I like deep down what am I stressed about right now am I not meeting some expectation that I thought that I should have accomplished by now in every single area and I you know thankfully food was one of the first the most miserable and so the first to change but um, it, I still bump up against it all of the time and that is what Sorry. my like extreme um application of rest to my life is meant to essentially force me to notice when i get stressed about things that i can't rush Um, Because I know that my intention this year is to be as restful as I can, but I still get stressed about things. I'm forced to be like, Caroline, what are you doing? Right. Right. Put down the
1: rope. That's like an ACT thing, like, you know, like an acceptance and commitment therapy thing that's all, mm-hmm. it's basically Buddhism, mm-hmm. but like wrapped up in like clinical therapy language. Uh-huh. But like, they always say like, put down the rope, like just stop fighting, right? Like that tug of war thing, like, yeah. okay, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. Uh, uh, when I'm stressed and anxious, guaranteed, you're just trying to control something, yeah. right? You're just like flailing about trying to control something. The only way to relieve yourself is to just put down the rope. Yeah. Just put down the rope, right? Surrender, right? Quote unquote, giving up gets such a bad rap.
0: Totally.
1: (laughs) Because I think people associate, and I know you've talked about this before, people associate giving up with like inactivity or like, therefore, I'm just gonna like lie on the couch and do nothing all day. Right. Like, as if I have no actual instinctive desire to do anything and I have to force myself to do anything. It's like, no. Actually, if you put down the rope and like follow your instincts, your instincts are going to lead you to like all sorts of wonderful things. It might not look the way you think it looks should look. It might not look the way culture tells you it should look, right? But your like greatest most beautiful life is going to occur whether you try to force it or not. And quite frankly, if you try to force it, all that's going to happen is you're going to get into this sort of like reactionary, rebellious zone with whatever it is you're trying to control, it's whether it's food, yeah, whether it's food, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, whatever.
0: Yeah, and without fail, I have experienced that. Without fail, when I, and, and the, a perfect example is this past year, when I was telling myself to rest, I was literally trying to do the least amount possible, but yet I kept wanting to do things. and mm-hmm. And those turned out to be the things that were the most joyful and that actually, you know, led me forward on a path that, i knew was right finally as opposed to fighting and feeling guilty and feeling like i should be doing something else or whatever um but i think people right. really are so afraid just like they are with food that if they actually give up control that they'll like spiral into a pit of like eating that will never end and i think people have a similar fear about well if i don't have a regimented schedule or i don't have you know, my one year and five year goals and I don't, you know, take, you know, very specific action every day that I won't do anything and I'll be a failure. And, and it's, it's hard to convince someone that that isn't so, but, but encouraging them to try taking off all the pressure and seeing what happens is really the only way to learn firsthand.
1: Right, right. It's so hard to do. I mean, I still struggle with this in like the realm of like finances for instance or mm-hmm. I mean, so many areas, right? I mean, it's just so easy to get wrapped up in the like of course I need to control this or else there will be impending doom. Right? right. I mean, that is the idea. If I let go of the rope will be impending dupe. And I was like, right. well, actually, if you let go of the rope, all that will happen is that the rope will just, like, be on the ground. <laughs> and, like, do you know what I mean? Like, but, like, nothing, like, the earth will not implode. Exactly. Like, it's, like, it, like <laughs> exactly.
0: it just, it's
1: fine, you know? Um, and, yeah, it's so funny. I did this exercise with a client who she was like, you know, I have to go to yoga every single day and if I miss yoga, I'm going to feel guilty, right? I just feel guilty if I don't go to yoga. I like mm-hmm. every, I have to go to yoga every day. And I was like, well, what if just for a month, You were just like, I don't have to go to yoga for a whole month. I just don't have to. Right? When we're just used a month as like a way to edge her in. Which is super
0: helpful. Super helpful.
1: Like just for a month. What if you just didn't have to go to yoga at all ever for the whole month? What's the worst case scenario? In a month, you don't go to yoga. Plenty of people don't go to yoga for a month. It's fine. Right? (laughs) The majority of the world doesn't go to yoga for a month. Yeah, let's just for a month could you not go to yoga right? Or, could, or not could you not go to yoga you don't have to go to yoga yeah. you can go if you want but you don't have to go if it turns out that you don't want to go 30 days in a row that's fine and if you legitimately earnestly just intuitively want to go that's fine too right like yes. you can go to yoga but you don't have to go to yoga for 30 days right and so of course she did this and it was like She still went to yoga some of the days because she legitimately wanted to go to yoga some of the days and then some, not every day, but like she just intuitively went to yoga and it was like a massive breakthrough. It was like, oh, I realized I don't need to beat myself into productivity. I don't need to beat myself into like submission around like food or movement or anything, right? Like I actually can just, my instincts are not broken.
0: Yeah. And we have such a fear that we have no... Like, what is it, this like deep fear of laziness, this deep fear that we have no motivation, this deep fear that we're a bottomless pit. And honestly, Mm -hmm. what I found personally is that, yeah, I have no motivation over things that I do not care about, that are not aligned with what I am supposed to be doing. I have a very hard time forcing myself to do them. A very hard time. But yes. turns out, when I actually let myself follow impulses, I start to do things that are very aligned with what I am meant to be doing, and it's worked mm-hmm. out real well so far. Oh
1: my god, it's so true. It's like when I first, first, first started my business and started doing this work, and I was so excited. Like, I was so amped. I mean, I'm still excited. I'm not not done yet, guys. Like, I'm still <laughs> I'm still in it for now. Like, I'm still, like, getting... Like, I'm still getting something really rewarding from this work, and I love doing it. But the first couple years, and you probably relate to it, it was, like, the first one or two years, it was, like,
0: you, like, wild dogs could oh not
1: keep me I from wouldn't working. sleep
0: because I had so yeah. many ideas.
1: Right. Exactly. It was, like, why? I could not, there was nothing that could hold me back from, like, blog writing and, like, whatever. I was, like, I was just, it was, like, I was bubbling up, brimming with just productivity because I just, fully wanted to do it like I was just oh I felt driven to Mm -hmm. do it there was no force involved at all it was just like it was like I was in a trance
0: yeah yeah (laughs) um but like super aligned with what you were meant to be doing
1: it was divine it was like divine I mean like not you know not to get too woo woo but I can't there's no other explanation for the way that I worked like when I, in the first two years of my business, like the way that I worked for the two, first two years of my business, it was like, I can't even imagine, like, I look back on it and I'm like, how did I even do that? Like, I can't imagine working that much. Like, it's hard to envision. And I'm like, oh yeah, you were running on like pure adrenaline. Like you, like that is a powerful drug. Like, it is. You, want, you wanted it, you know, like you were going for it. It's so true. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Now I'm in a much more. But of course, you know, adrenaline does does run out.
0: You know? but, oh yeah. yeah. And <laughs> ha, enter rest. Enter
1: rest. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I had to take some some time to calm down. And thankfully, I had done you know good work enough that I could kind of like coast for a little while and like then be like, okay, I'm picking it back up at a pace that feels more sustainable to me. Right. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Exactly. And, and and yet still knowing that you will be productive and you will be. Yeah, guided to the things that are right and really trusting that intuition and that impulse is scary but once it starts proving itself to you really leaning into that I think is the key in every area totally
1: yeah totally it is so interesting it's so the compulsion to want to know how my career is going to look in 10 years Mm -hmm. or even Mm 5 years Mm -hmm. is so intense it's Mm -hmm. like I just want to make it concrete right to use Hamishodron's language like I just want to concretize it I just want to make it solid I just want to make sure that I know what's going on with my work life and that like I got this down and I don't have to worry about it I'm like well you actually don't have to worry about it and like I got to a place where I was like you know what you really don't know much especially for self-employed people it's like All I know is, like, the immediate projects, like, on my calendar for the next year.
0: Exactly. And that, I think that has to be enough. I was thinking about this, and I was, like, I was talking myself through. I was, like, okay, I'm going to do, I want to do X, Y, Z this next year. That is what I'm going to do. And I was, like, I can just focus on that and be happy that I know at all what I'm doing or have any ideas about what I'm doing. And trust that it will continue to reveal itself as it always has. Always. Yes.
1: Yes. It has never not worked out in the end. Even when I thought that it wasn't working out, even when it looked like a disaster, it was like whatever did work out later couldn't have occurred if that disaster hadn't occurred. Exactly.
0: Like Like very genuinely.
1: Right. Like. Steve Jobs always talks about that, like you can't connect the dots looking forward. you can only connect them looking
0: back. It's really true, and so much of I mean so much of having a business and and doing what we do is is this creative. Um, this creative space that we have to, and, and everyone has this, you know, in their, no matter what they do, whether they have a business, whether they have an actual creative job, whether they are a mother and having to be creative with keeping their kids, like, freaking not drawing on the walls. Like, everything yeah. is about being in, like, Twelve. a trusting flow and being right. open to kind of rolling with the punches and... Right and that is the only way to be sane because everything else is misery
1: (laughs) right, right, it's the only way to be sane, because it's the only realistic way to live, like you just can't control the waves right, you know, that's like a Howard Zinn quote it's like, you can't control the waves all you can do is ride them Right. And so it's just, there is, there is no option called controlling the waves. If that's your strategy, you're fucked.
0: You're drowning. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Like there
1: is no option. The only option is to learn to ride them. And there is nowhere where that is more true. I mean, that is so true in the realm of food, like in the sense of like, my food is kind of just like in process happening. My biological instincts, my humanity around food are just kind of happening. The question is like, can I ride with that? Or Am I, or am I trying to control the waves, right? Am I trying to be like, no, not that wave or like, I can't believe that wave happened or like, you know, it's just that's, it's not, it is a losing, it is a highly losing strategy. It is a misery inducing strategy Mm -hmm. and it is a strategy that ultimately leads to these very dangerous pendulum swings and back and forth and rebellions and reactionary stuff. It's just not in anyone's, it's not in your best interest. At any point in time, not emotionally, but even not physically
0: either. No. Um, And the funny thing, I I mean, the the really wonderful thing actually about food and healing your relationship with food is not only is it a spiritual thing or an emotional and spiritual thing to talk about control issues, but mm -hmm. it lines up exactly with the most basic biological famine survival mode that your body goes into. I mean, your body... Is reacting very deliberately to your attempts at control with trying to override them. And it is as much a biological situation as it is a spiritual lesson.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And emotional, right? I mean, this is like a concept that I know I've probably beat to death in the last interview because this is like a major concept that I talk about in my video training series, which... I hope anyone who hasn't seen yet who's listening will take a look at it. Yes. But, you know, it's also an emotional, right? Physiological deprivation is not the only thing that's happening here, right? It's like it is It's an emotional experience mm-hmm. to try to control your food as well, right? Like it's not just about re- reacting to, oh, my gosh, I didn't eat when I was hungry and now I'm starving and I'm going to go binge, right? Mm-hmm. It's also like, oh, my gosh, I'm having an emotional reaction to, I don't, I, you know, what's happening, my instincts are not somehow in alignment with what I think they should be, Right. you know, and, you know, oh, shit, I, I, I want to eat this thing, but I don't perceive myself to be hungry enough, and therefore I must be failing, Right. and I need to control this wave, or whatever the, the case may be, right, it's, it's, I think, the whole concept of emotional eating, which we could talk about, right, like, this idea that people, um think, trying to control emotional eating as if emotional eating were, like, the the biggest problem is if emotional eating weren't also to some extent instinctive and part of our human experience is also really problematic. Um, But yeah, so it's just sort of, you know, that, that fear around food, right? Irrespective of what you're actually physically consuming, that fear, that anxiety, that sort of, Oh my gosh, that shame that I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have eaten that or, Oh my God, I want to eat that thing, but it's, you know, I'm not hungry, so I'm not supposed to, or whatever the case may be, you know, it really does um it plays into the same themes. It ends up you end up having the same results.
0: Yes. Right? Yeah. You're doing
1: I, the same thing.
0: And you're rebelling against that like guilt as well. And that'll keep you just as stuck as any like right. formal physical restriction. Yeah. It's
1: right. you're still holding
0: the rope. Exactly. And I just want to say, I was thinking this back when you were kind of telling your story that for anyone who is listening who has doubts that they will ever be able to become a normal eater, Isabel started her first diet at three and I have been, I was a childhood binge eater and then going into, uh, because of restriction, because I felt like I wasn't allowed to have junk food, going into dieting, if we who really had no memories of ever being a normal eater can become a normal eater than anyone can right
1: and I think it's relevant I always like to say this whenever the term normal eater like is used it's like just remember like all a normal eater is is a person who thinks quote normally about food right normal eating is not a behavior guys right you can't perform it no right you cannot perform normal eating there's not some like oh it's just when I eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full or did you that's not what being a normal eater is, right? No. Normal eating is not a performance. Normal eating is like a – it's its a thought process. It's like, mm-hmm. what's my relationship to food? How do I think about food? Do I think about food as this thing that is, like, scary that I need to control, that, like, I need to do correctly, that I need to do right? Do I think about my body as a thing that I need to control, mm-hmm. that I need to do correctly, right? You know, am I – do I feel compulsed to pursue weight loss, for instance? I mean, right, these are all um, – thought processes right they're not even necessarily behaviors behaviors are just side effects of the thought processes if Mm -hmm. you're not dealing with the thought processes right if you're not a normal thinker around food right you don't have like perspective around food you don't think like normal that's the real issue That's really the only way to heal, is to address the way you think around food, your relationship to food. Do you think of food as like a scary thing that needs to be controlled or all hell will break loose? Do you think of your body as a thing that you need to control or all hell will break loose? Right. Right. If that's your attitude, your behaviors are going to reflect that.
0: And the hope is that all parts of the food situation become easy, like that the way you think about it and the way you act around it becomes kind of second nature and easy Thanks to shifting the attitude around it.
1: Yeah, well, the attitude of, oh, my God, if I eat this thing, all hell will break loose. Or this attitude of, oh, my God, if I weigh this much, all hell will break loose is a fundamentally stressful and anxiety-producing attitude. As mm-hmm. like I always say, like if food dictates your self-esteem or if your weight dictates your self-esteem, get prepared to feel stressed out and anxious about food all the time. Right. All of the side effects of that, whether it be binge eating, increased emotional eating, whatever. Right. Yeah. So the only, I mean, this is, this is sort of, you know, kind of one of the many punchlines, right? Is that it's just doesn't, um, it's just your behaviors are not, your behaviors are going to be what you're going to be. The only thing that you really can work on is like, okay, can I, can I relax around food?
0: Yeah. And trust it and trust the bigger picture. And right. change priorities, too. The weight piece is huge. You know, like having your thoughts about your weight kind of dictate the way you feel about yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I mean, internalized fat phobia is a bitch.
0: It's a bitch. Um, and it's, it's everywhere. A bitch. Yeah.
1: And it's everywhere. Well, externalized fat phobia is, is everywhere, everywhere, right? Yes. Right? And so we internalize... What we hear and what we see all the time, which is why it is so important to immerse yourself in body positive stuff. Like, sign up for all the body positive things, assuming they're actually body positive, which unfortunately right. is not a given right. in our current industry situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, immerse yourself. Like, the more immersed you are, the more you change the culture and the environment you're in. The more, um, the easier it's going to be to actually start to change your thoughts and beliefs. Right, your beliefs are just things you think over and over and over again. If you're constantly, constantly being surrounded by body positive beliefs, you are going to start to believe them.
0: Yeah. Believe it or not, right? Like yeah. that
1: is going to start to impact the way you think, right? If you are surrounded for extended periods of time by body positive thinking, body positive people body positive media being the biggest one that you can influence right now, no matter where you live, no matter who you are, no matter what your family situation is, right? You can surround yourself by body positive media, body positive information that is going to start to affect you, right? Like it is going to start to change the way you think. You didn't start thinking in a fat phobic way, like, just for no reason. You started thinking in a fatphobic way because you were surrounded by fatphobic speakers, fatphobic people, and fatphobic ideas, and fatphobic media your whole life. Yeah. Right? So this is, like, big, huge, 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 big deal, right? It's actually, like, taking initiative to do as much as you can to change your environment. And thankfully... One of the benefits of like email and social media and like internet media in general is that you actually do have some control over what you consume. You can unfollow yes. and you can follow who you want and who you don't want.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's huge. It really is a huge piece and it really does work. Like it really does yeah. help slowly but surely shift the way you think. Right. You can. It seems overly oh.
1: simplistic, but it's really not.
0: Yeah, I mean advertising, man. Yeah. It's insidious. Yes. Start like purposely advertising right. around yourself and it actually does start to shift things.
1: I mean it's uh, so real. It's so crazy. I feel like people is again it almost sounds cheesy. Like when I was in college, I like studied I was a sociology major and did a lot of like gender study stuff and you know these studies would come out like the media only shows pictures of like thin, tall white women how is this? This is definitely having a negative impact on our youth. And it was like a blip, right? It was like this sentence was just like another, it was almost like the sentence itself was just another headline. Right. Right. People didn't really realize like, no, no, no. Like this is something to take very seriously.
0: Huge. Yeah.
1: Yes. Very seriously. Like this is not like, oh, you just read that and then go back to like Vogue. This is like, okay, what are you going to do with that information? Like, are you going to actually be really conscientious about what you're consuming? Because that could have a huge impact on your recovery in a very real way. Um, So, yeah, like, it's...
0: Yeah, it's it's really huge. And I, like, removed my... I didn't have cable for the longest time, like, during the past, you know, like, many, many years when I was actually taking myself through this, like, big life view and paradigm change. And yeah. I recently got cable back again and I just can't believe commercials. they are absurd. Yeah, and it's yet disgusting. and yet like I, I can kind of like I can kind of watch like the way my brain would have watched the commercial in the past and then like see from the outside now, thank God. but it's I mean it's it's unbelievable how insidious advertising can be and is and has been for the past, you know, however many decades. Right. Um, it's,
1: it's bad. It's like, it's not great. All these, ind- every industry, whether it's advertising, whether it's marketing, whether it's medicine, whether yeah. it's, right, all of these industries are run by humans. And unfortunately, fat phobia is the dominant cultural paradigm.
0: Yeah. Right. And they know that it sells. It really does. I know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So many deep problems with this, but yeah, no. It's it's real bad. It's not. It's not cute. We hope it's starting to change. We hope it's it's starting
0: to change. And awareness is the beginning. You know, having an awareness around you know the things that you have been blindly consuming Mm -hmm. will make a big shift. We've been talking so long. Oh my god. Um, let's talk about your program because you run a masterclass, Stop Fighting, is it called Stop Fighting Food or is that the free video series? So Stop Fighting,
1: well, Stop Fighting Food is kind of like the whole umbrella. Great. Yeah. Situation. So Stop stop Fighting Food is a, it was originally a free online video training series that I created years ago that like, you know, was sort of like the first place where I was like, okay, I'm going to like introduce these concepts. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to introduce the concept of like trying to control your food leads to losing control. Like I'm going to introduce concepts. Oh, well, and there were a couple, couple of big ones in video in the second video of the series, super important that I think people still struggle with mm-hmm. is like, understanding the differences between binge eating and emotional eating and, you know, what are the differences between them? You know, how can we start to understand these things in a more productive way? Because typically people just think of binge eating as like emotional eating a lot, like emotional eating until I feel sick or whatever. Right, and right, that's right, actually, right. And that actually can be a really harmful way to think about binge eating actually keeps you in the cycle because it's just basically all, it's just a, it's an unuseful definition. It's just like, it just makes binge eating into this like very judgmental term. Like, right. I, I ate emotionally too much and that's not okay, and so now I'm calling it a binge, right? And so the reality of the situation is I'm very, I mean, as a, as a binge eater most of my life, right, like I'm very, I understand the pain that comes, the physical pain and the emotional pain that yes. comes from, you know, these sort of binge eating episodes, but we need to start to really understand where does the role of dieting play versus where the role of, like, just like I'm experiencing an emotion that I don't want to feel play? Right. And, like, kind of have conversations around the differences between those two, how to understand what's going on with your relationship with food in a way that actually gives you some tools for, for looking at and managing sort of these different scenarios and not just like clumping them together in one big, like, pile of mess that ultimately also really highly villainizes emotional eating in a way that isn't useful. So video two is, I think, a critical video in the Stop Fading Food Training series, which really kind of gets to the root of like, okay, what is the difference between emotional eating and binge eating? What are helpful ways to look at these in a way that I can, like, take care of myself without, like, falling back into diet mentality, basically, um, and that's, you know, was a big deal. I remember that video, I think, is kind of a big, big deal. And then. Um, Obviously, body image is a huge, when I, this was, I mean, this video series was the first place where I really got loud about the importance of body image and doing body positive work, stigma resistance work, you know, looking at your internalized fat phobia as, as like a critical component of healing and overcoming diet mentality. So this video training series is sort of like, it's like one of my first like early big works. And like, if anyone hasn't seen it, there's going to be a link, I think, in the, um,
0: Yes. And
1: there's going to be a link in the show now. So definitely check out the Stop Fighting Food video training. I
0: am series. sharing it. And they're yeah. amazing. They're amazing videos. And they're super clear and concise, but also just really, really helpful to get the full picture of sort of why right. um, this is happening to you. <laughs>
1: Wait, exactly. Exactly. It's like getting to the root of the struggle. Yeah, yes. exactly. It's a very, you know, like, like, it's like three, like five to eight minute videos of like, this is why you're struggling. Like basically, um, even if you've been pursuing the answer for years and years and years. Right. Cause I mean, that was me. I was in eating disorder treatments and I was in God, all sorts of shit. I was in no I was in this, I was in that. I was like, you know, I was constantly looking for the solution to especially binge eating and emotional eating. I mean, that was what I identified with the most, um, yeah. I, and I didn't even—I don't even know if I recognized restriction as my problem until like I way later. Yeah, I didn't.
0: I thought that that was like my valiant, responsible attempts at curtailing my binge eating.
1: Right. I just thought that restriction again—it was like oxygen. I think I said that earlier in the interview. Like mm-hmm. it's just what you do. Like it's just of course. Like you just try not to eat too much. You know. Like or you try to eat the right things, and that's just normalized. So I didn't even recognize that as a problem. I thought the problem was that I ate my feelings and sometimes I would completely, quote-unquote, lose control and, like, eat until I felt sick. Yeah. And there was no – and I just – I I thought that that was a problem, like, in a vacuum outside of diet mentality. I didn't even think about diet mentality as something that was sort of setting me up for this kind of relationship with food. So – but, yeah, so the video training series is, like, a really – that was sort of the original intro that I created, like, a few years ago, and it's still, like, the primary place that people typically find It's like, a good, like, introduction entree to my work. So it was like, send people there to start. Um, and then um, I also run a group coaching program, an annual group coaching program called the Stop Fighting Food Masterclass, which is basically, like, okay, do you want to get serious? Right. Like, do you want to, like – Work with me. Like, do you want to? Do you want us to have a coaching relationship and really like get into the depths of this and really, you know, kind of like go hard on, on really getting into this um, uh, and like like learning what you need to learn. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So that's all happening. That's all happening. It's exciting, and I'm gonna I'm, this, sharing
0: I'm sharing the, the, the link to the out. free video series, which is really really awesome. Please check it out. You will not regret it. Um. I also just, yeah, like, and- basically really love the way the videos look, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the content is great, but I like the styling.
1: <laughs> they are beautiful. I will say that's something that I get compliments. I feel like that was something I, I got compliments on quite a bit It's like, I, uh, you know, it's such a, the subject matter is so shameful for so many people, and it seems, it almost feels like this sort of, like, day class A thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to, like, luxe this up. Like, I'm going to make this experience, like, super gorgeous. And, like, we're going to have, like, a beautiful, like, it's going to feel. Like, I want people to feel, like, good and safe to be able to talk about this stuff in a way that is not, like, this dirty little secret.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the whole, that's the, that's the dream is making this something that people can actually like talk about and and understand it's not just them it's like a phenomenon that happens to everyone who tries to diet
1: right right exactly exactly exactly
0: that's the funny exactly. thing like everyone's like no they're good at dieting but i am a food addict no this no. is happening to everyone who is trying to diet they just don't want to right. talk about it because they are ashamed
1: right right, exactly And trust me, if they're not binge eating or emotional eating, they're hungry and starving and obsessed with food.
0: So, you know,
1: binge binge eating and emotional eating is actually like a really natural reaction. It's your body winning. Yeah,
0: it's your body. Exactly. It's your body keeping you as alive as it possibly can.
1: Right. Like, it's actually worse to restrict and not binge. Exactly. actually like. Way more problematic, exactly. like I'm, they're much more concerned about people who are quote unquote successfully restricting, although they are a teeny tiny, you know, super small percentage of the population. You could, it's pretty also clear that, like, that's you know, now we're getting into the land of like clinical eating disorder, sure. you know, for a yes. lot of people who fall into that category, so it's just really dangerous, it's not something to aspire to, exactly. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely check out the video training series. I also I only offer the master class to people who've gone through the video training series. So if you're like interested, if anyone here is like, oh, I I might want to like, you know, check out her work, like s- start with the video training yeah, series. Yeah, and there's no critical. reason not
0: to. It's free and it's awesome. And as you've heard, it's beautiful.
1: <laughs> it is it is very beautiful. It
0: really it's is. Gorgeous. Isabel, thank you so much for chatting with me again my pleasure my pleasure it's always so fun to talk to you and uh
1: yeah i'm sure we'll
0: do another one probably in like a year and a half again
1: (laughs) right 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 that's an appropriate that's an appropriate
0: spacing yeah it lets us grow a little bit be able to reflect on what we've already talked about and taught and yeah i think it works i think it works So in listening back to that talk, I'm so sorry that the levels were kind of off, that I was sometimes louder than her and that she was tinny, and you know why it was? Because my new headphones that I use, like in general in life that I used to use for interviews, they're just really normal Apple headphones, but now my stupid headphones are these ones that only have the lightning connector, do you know what I mean? Like they don't, so basically what that means is I can't plug them into my computer. I can only plug them into my phone and I'm very annoyed and it kind of messed up the quality of the interview and I'm sorry about that. I hope that it was still helpful and interesting and that you could hear and it wasn't too bothersome. But again, if you want to check out that, uh, what's it called, the video series, Her Free Video Series, check the link that is in the blog post that is connected to this episode or the link that I send through email. This should be in the email that I sent about this podcast episode. And I will be back soon with a new episode that has a Q&A, that, um, a Q&A from the Podcast Insider. Questions. And if you want to become a Podcast Insider, you just go over to patreon.com slash carolineduner. And you can ask questions for as little as $1 a month. And I will answer them on the podcast.